Welcome to Some of Your Business, where we help aspiring leaders take the next step in their career. And now your host, Tim Flood. A jack of all trades, but a master of none. It's a phrase that I think, uh, you know, a lot of HR professionals and hiring managers have taken to heart. A lot of our listeners may have noticed that in order to uh, kind of get the job that you want to get promoted or get hired, oftentimes hiring managers are looking for explicit experience, really specialized experience. So not just somebody that's a project manager, but maybe a project manager for a startup in the HR space, you know, and, and really go deep. And as training budgets have gone down, we expect people to just kind of plug and play. Uh, but uh, there is a second half of that quote, right? The second half is a jack of all trades, a master of none, oftentimes is better than one, right? And so uh, in the sense of brevity, we've left out some of the context that people bring to the table. Our HR professionals or hiring managers making a mistake with some of these hires that are only looking for explicit experience. And uh, those well-rounded folks, one way of uh, referring to them is as a polymath. That's a term and a, uh, a sort of philosophy that was uh, brought to my attention by today's guest, Chuck Randolph. Chuck, if you want to uh, give us a, a quick introduction, uh, we can get into it, discuss it a little bit. Hey, Tim. Uh, thanks for having me come on and talk about something that I love. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I realize that you know we've known each other for a while, but my name's Chuck Randolph. I'm, I'm the uh, executive director for strategic intelligence at a security software company called Ontic, and it provides intelligence to to protect. I've also been involved in the intelligence and security community for a long time, Tim. I think going on 30 years, I'm the president of the International Protective Security Board. I've been, and I'm a founding member of that. I've been on the, recently stepped off of the uh, Association for International Risk Intelligence uh, Professionals, involved in some other industry things through the State Department, through the FBI. I also have been fortunate enough, I, you know, I served my country for 30 years in a tangential career, getting out after 30 as a lieutenant colonel, battalion commander, and uh, acting group commander. So, Thank you. And of course, you know, I am a co-host of another podcast called Conversations in Close Protection. And if any folks ever listen to that, they, they find that we often discuss this idea of the Renaissance person or polymath uh, as it pertains to folks in the uh, security and risk industry. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for being here, Chuck. I know you're a busy guy and you got a lot on your plate. Not too busy for you, brother. (laughs) This notion, you know, tell me when did this hit you that this was a word, that this was a type of person out there? Do you remember the moment? Do you consider yourself a polymath? Any story there? I mean, I'm a polymath because I probably have some undiagnosed ABD or or something. Exactly. (laughs) Put a positive spin on it. There you go. Yeah. I think most people inherently are somewhat polymathic. Um, and by polymath means somebody who's interested in a lot of things. I mean, we could put the Renaissance man or the Renaissance person spin and talk about Galileo, talk about Dante, talk about Da Vinci, you know, uh, you know, all the way up to Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Albert Einstein, Tim Flood. But at the end of the day, if you think about it, because we're interested in many things. And I think uh, a polymath is somebody who says, look, I'm going to go... What's the weird, what's the business word we let you hear a lot now? Let's click down or let's drill down. But I think a polymath is somebody that says, look, I want to drill down one more on a subject. 
you know, I, maybe I like sports. Maybe I like cooking. Maybe I like archery. Maybe I, you know, maybe I want to learn how to fix my car. Maybe, you know, I, I'm an armchair psychologist. Maybe I like science. So for me personally, I think it goes back to high school and trying to figure out like what really resonated with me. And there were multiple things in my life that I was really interested in. A lot of people don't know, Tim. I was very interested in, in how movies were produced. Mm-hmm. It goes back to a kid probably watching like, I remember back in the 70s, I had the, the special on TV, like the making of Star Wars. And I was really fascinated by that. But I was also very fascinated by an investigative work. You know, my mom had got me a Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle when I was a kid. I read that and then was interested in like how, you know, this individual fictional obviously was breaking down investigations. You know, I read a book on Alan Pinkerton, was very interested in protection work. And then, you know, and as, and as I've gotten older, I mean, my thoughts, my thirst for knowledge has increased, you know, and, and as you get older and as you start, you know, Tim, I've been fortunate enough to travel to 64 countries. Wow. And one does not get out in the world and not suddenly have a zest to understand, you know, cultures, people, food, what makes things tick. I mean, you know, sitting, you know, we've all been sitting in our own, you know, personal bias, maybe for the last two years uh, on a lockdown down to COVID. This is not, a, you know, my personal political view or not. It's hard when you think about people living in their own bubble and then, you know, people just get out maybe to the neighboring town or something and like, What's this town about? Talk to me about the art. How was it developed? What's the best, you know, what's the best, you know, steak or where can I get the best queso or, you know, what makes, what makes things tick? I mean, it's that voracious uh, questioning. What about you? Well, I, 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 when, when I first heard you say that, I thought my same, same thing. I said, Hey, maybe I'm a polymath. Right. And, and, and um, I do have a lot of different interests. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, ran for office. I wrote a screenplay and a children's book. And, uh, you know, you see my guitars there. I'm taking a stab at podcasting. Right. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's, I, I, I enjoy, um, doing all sorts of different things, experiencing different things, trying my hand, see if I like something. If I do double down and keep going, if not, then try something else. It feels like that's a virtue maybe in your personal life, not so much in your professional life, right? It's hard. It's harder to advance as a Jack of all trades, in corporate America. Well, you know, I think you're uh, right. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, look, we, we've kind of got, we got to a point to where everyone needs to be specialized. Like I specialize in this, you know, we, whether you're in risk, security, sales, there's always somebody who's kind of, you know, I'm a specialist in a certain area and I know it frontwards and backwards, but I do think there's something, and I, you know, I think there's a gentleman named David Epstein wrote this book called Range. The subtitle on it is, um, why generalists triumph in a specialized world. And I think there's something to have that individual that comes in and says, hey, look, we've got a lot of specialists in the room. We're trying to solve a problem. We're trying to move the needle. Or, you know, we're trying to monetize something. We're trying to mitigate risk. We're trying, you know, something is to be solved. And you have a lot of specialists in the room. And it's that generalist that says, look, I know a little bit about all these areas. So let's ask some open-ended questions. Let's do some guiding principles so that we can bring everyone to the table and get everyone around the problem so that, A, we can figure out how are we going to solve this problem? What are we solving for? What assumptions do we have? And, and, you know, what are we going to do once we solve it? And are we on the right path? You know, I I think, you know, you look at uh, look at chiefs of staff. 
they do. Hey, we bring a lot of different people to the table because the boss needs information. Or the, you know, the business needs something to go forward. And it's my job, you know, to kind of make that happen. Yeah. So I've found my way into that role now. And uh, I kind of look at it as sort of, um, you know, I throw bounce passes to all these folks on my team, you know. And um, so I'm, I'm under my VP's wing and kind of his uh, proxy in a lot of meetings. But basically what I'm trying to do is say, okay, here's what we're trying to accomplish or he's trying to accomplish. Here are the people and the tools and assets and things that we have. I'm just trying to get get them to deliver. And yeah, it is all over the map with those different folks. Yeah. I think, you know, in the physical security space that you're in, I think there's there's additional value for context, right? You're you're looking at a train station to see if something's out of whack. You got to know well, a little bit about a lot of stuff or you wouldn't you'd miss it, right? But well, let's think about security just for a second and, and sure. we'll put this into a polymathic uh, lens in a second. So, you know, traditional folks probably listening think of security as guns, gates, guards. Yeah. Along comes now a few years back we have this idea of a like digital issue. So now we have guns, gates, guards, gigabytes. The last three years, everyone's been locked down due to COVID. So now we have a 5G environment, guns, gates, guards, gigabytes, germs. Mm. And now Russia's encourages into Ukraine have said, hey, look, we've already vaulted to that 6G environment, guns, gates, guards, gigabytes, germs geopolitics and all these. <laughs> so you realize like these at one point were priorities and then they suddenly become, you know, they suddenly become a requirement now, a requirement for mitigation, mitigation strategies, a, quart, a requirement for monitoring, a requirement for dealing with. But now if you think about those guns, well, that's, you know, that's a certain part of, that's a certain specific part of protection that we're not talking about, you know, legalities. You know, gates, well, that's physical security and, and man, you know, and manning gates and asset control, all kinds of things. Guards, people, gigabytes, cyber, germs. Well, wait a minute. Now, Tim, I got I to I gotta know about who yeah, virus about all that stuff. <laughs> And then geopolitics. Well, hey, who said I, the price of tea in China would actually matter or maybe the price of wheat in, in, uh, in Ukraine or, right. or natural gas from Russia? How do you manage it? These are all priorities that suddenly... You know, at some point become, you know, pandemics become endemics, priorities become requirements. And I think being a polymath and being someone that's interested in a lot of areas allows you to say, hey, look, I'm not going to get caught up in cyber when somebody says, you know, talk to me about IOCs or talk to me about um, up the latest, you know, and they get really technical where you know, you know enough about the subject to ask questions and say, this is great. Have we solved it? This is great. Are we solving for it? You know, great. We have guards on site. What does that mean? What does it cost? How are we looking at it? And then geopolitics. Hey, awesome. Something's happening in Russia. You know, there's second, third orders of effects of what's going on that include things like supply chain, cost of food, disruption in, in uh, political, you know, maybe disruption in, in uh, political regimes. You know, again, it all sounds overwhelming and probably people are thinking like, what are these guys talking about? But the connected piece is that polymath that says, look, I'm now managing risk for a business. So I need to expand my knowledge base as risk expands. And I need to be able to talk to it and understand it to a point to where I can ask questions. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts about that? 
Yeah. So you mentioned a good word there was understanding, right? So I, I read a book recently. It was by the guy who, who leads the TED Talks. So TED Talks is the ultimate uh, crack cocaine for polymaths, right? Because <laughs> it's it's six to 18 minute speeches on stuff all over the map. I'll have a challenge at the end of the episode here about go listen to some awesome TED Talks. But he had a quote in there and I'm going to I'm going to read it off here or it's not a quote, but a paraphrasing. But uh, it was a book about like parallel universes called the fabric of reality. But there was a really interesting notion in there. And that's as technology advances, the more repetitive or specialized your job, the more likely it is to be automated while you cannot automate contextual understanding. And so the current state of affairs, say, in the job market is for knowledge over understanding. And so you mentioned that understanding what it is. So if you're the person that can connect the dots, you can stay smarter than a computer, right? And, you know, you do a simple repetitive task over and over. You drill down into something so specialized that we can code for it. Then you're going to specialize yourself out of uh, relevance, right? And it's the context and putting those dots together that will never lose value no matter how advanced we get. As a, as a society there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's amazing. And that's that's a great way to put it. And I totally agree about TED Talks. It, it is crack cocaine for anyone that's interested in expanding their knowledge. So look, how many people do we know over the, the lockdown of the pandemic? Some people maybe leaned into cheeseburgers or, or soap operas or something else. Other people leaned into learning. Yeah. Taught themselves a new language. So this is um, appreciation of something they didn't know, you know, I saw, so you know, I'm amazed at people who don't realize that they're polymaths because they're voracious readers or voracious learners. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think you're honest. And this understand this idea of understanding is super important. You know, Tim, when I was an infantry officer, uh, one of the things they would talk about from an officer is, hey, look, I was an army officer in the infantry, which meant I was some like, you know, they called them ground pounders. We were the folks out doing patrols. You're on in the field going toe-to-toe, you know, and things like that. So part of being an infantry officer or part of being an officer is being a polymath. You have all these systems in your unit or in your patrol or in your company, team, whatever organization that you're leading that bring different effects Maybe those, you know, if we put that in a business context, you know, I'm leading a business unit. I have all these, I have all these things within this unit that bring something to bear that's going to help the business or in the military sense, it's going to help this patrol. As an officer and a manager and a synchronizer, my job was to understand how to employ or deploy the various things in my unit. Now, from a business point of view, when I, you know, I, in, I ran, you know, I ran a security team for quite a long time. I needed to understand what do I have to bring to this problem set? I needed to know enough to say, Tim, can you come in and bring, you know, bring your TSCM, which is uh, technical counter uh, measures, like your anti-bug gear, because we want to sweep this boardroom to see if there's any listed devices. Now, does Randolph know how to do that? I know enough to be dangerous. Right, exactly. But I know enough about it to say, hey, look, we need it. And these are the effects I'm hoping you'll bring from it. So I want to try and take this from sort of the theoretical and and leave anybody who listens to this with one or two sort of practical uses for this, right? Okay, so does this sound like you? You think you're a polymath? Maybe. So lean into it. So TED Talks, I think, is a great way, right? You know, you mentioned the lockdown and like the two years. So support, part of what happened in lockdown is people just got sucked into social media, right? And one of the banes of our existence is those algorithms, and they just serve up the next thing. And it's very similar to the last thing, right? And you go down these rabbit holes, 
And again, that specialization gone wrong. TED Talks, you go down a rabbit hole, every TED Talk is different, you know? And so you're really scratching the different sides of your brain if that's where you want to go with your social media time, right? Is listen to some TED Talks. I think that's a great point. And, you know, let's face it, the algorithm wants to own you. Yeah. Um, I, I heard, and I wish I could remember who it was at this moment, but I, I heard uh, a uh, cybersecurity expert when I was working on the cyber side talking about algorithmic warfare and how it's coming up. And I just oh. really blew my mind. But you really, Tim, you're right, man. You really have to fight the tendency to go down the rabbit hole yeah. or ride the algorithm. Oh, that phrase just made my skin crawl. Algorithmic warfare. Oh, God. That makes sense. And right. It's horrifying all at once. But I, I, want to, I want to touch on something. I was thinking about, okay, so what do you do, right? You're a polymath or you think of yourself. How do you, how do you navigate? Let's say you want to get hired at a, at a particular position or, or, or get promoted, what have you, right? And I don't think, I think you, you've got to get an interview for someplace uh, through um, referrals and, and networking and to get in there. Your resume does have to check the boxes. That's just the state of play, right? You're not going to get somebody to take a look. Too many applicants, especially for these targeted jobs. But being a polymath can be really helpful for you in a lot of these soft skills. So you mentioned problem solving, but think about things that hiring managers value, right? Creativity. Mm -hmm. Navigating ambiguity, you know, uh, uh, being, you know, uh, independent, being curious, right? That's what po being a polymath is all about is being curious well, and asking that next question. Yeah, and you can use that. You can use that superpower to your advantage. It's just right. how you wield it. Do you wish to sit on the couch and go down the TikTok algorithmic rabbit hole and say, I was a polymath because I watched 15 different TikToks and saw. Yeah. But if you say, hey, I'm maybe you're listening to this podcast, you're like, hey, look, I really want to get into that next level. Well, sit down with a piece of paper, draw a circle, put yourself in the middle, and outside of the circle, think about what are all the tangential things to this that I might need to know about. And then, and then on the next sheet of paper or on your computer, however you want to do it write those things out, leave a little space and underneath it, write, what do I intend to learn? And then go learn it, go to YouTube, go, you know, go find those things. And then when you're done, go back. Did I learn this? What did I know? Oftentimes this is shameless. I, I often do tell my secrets, but oftentimes if I'm looking at things in the news uh, and I'll give you a great example, a long time ago, I had a principal, someone I worked for, they had a sports team. That wasn't a sport that I really cared about. But I knew quickly, if I don't learn about this sport, I'm quickly going to be left behind because these are things that we need to know right down to the analogies they used and all that. So I would read articles on, you know, this sport and on the certain teams in a uh, document. I'd list the article and then I'd like, what did I learn from that article? And I'd list it. And what did I learn? And I still employ that to this day of things that I find that are interesting in the news that I write about or speak about. And it, it's never failed me. The virtuous rabbit hole. There we go. Let's we're gonna let's uh, hashtag <laughs> hashtag virtuous. There's your T-shirt, my friend. Hole. There you go. All right. We'll get it. We're gonna be trending before you know it. So, so, uh, um, but I think you know. So you know, you can display some of this, those soft skills, right? Putting a bullet point that says creative is pretty much the least creative thing you could do, right? But you could you could show your creative through some of these other things and interests and hobbies and skills that you have outside of that discipline that you either are applying for or striving towards, right? And so I think that's where it's beneficial in your career path, right? If you do 
some work samples or, you know, your social media or portfolio, things that you, you do to stand out in a crowded job market. Those are the things where this can help you when you're aspiring to that next step. Yeah, that, and that's great. What's called lateral thinking and which lateral thinking is really just like using indirect and in, in, in creative approaches to problem solving. I have a good friend who's in the design industry. And he said many years ago, when I got my start, I didn't have a lot of design. He was like, and they're looking for designs that you did, you know, and was used in this and that. He's like, so I made a list of things that I was interested in. I went out, I figured out a way. I did some volunteer work. I got some designs out. And he's like, even though I didn't get paid for it, it was mm-hmm. utilized. Therefore, it was something I could use in my portfolio. And he's like, that helped me get ahead of the next person when I was trying to get that job at a, a famous company that employed the mouse. Yeah. Employed the mouse. So, um, you know, kudos to lateral thinking, kudos to, to, using a polymathic approach to, to problem solving. Yeah. And so, I mean, sort of a parallel topic, I may do a whole episode on this is, is basically, yeah, just showing your stuff by not your day job, right? Sometimes you do work, you're not allowed to share it anyway, right? You can't show off what you've done, but if you do your own thing, you know, some public data set or some problem or some product and you do your own thing, you have the ability to show off what you can do in a way that, that a bullet point just can't do. And I think being a polymath is is the way, you know, one of those ways. That's your 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 chance to shine and stand out. Uh, you you were mentioning sort of, you know, the 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 value of having a polymath in the room, right? You've got a team right now, a specialist, and that's maybe business as usual. I, I can't say that I've seen that. And I don't know, what would you say? Is there a job title of that person, right? Or are custom companies looking at it that way? Well, it's not always the I mean, what what are leader leaders' job? Yes, leaders. Jobs are synchronized and, you know, get people to do things and, and move needles forward and all that. But I think there's someone that's just outside of the leader that might be, you know, you might see in a list of them, like, there are chief strategy officer roles. There are chiefs of staff. I, I think a chief of staff is, is a polymath role. Um, you know, when I, my last 15 years in the military is in information operations, and a lot of times I was in situations or my, my battalion or my company was in a situation in which they might not be in charge, but they needed to lead through, you know, lead, uh, lead without authority. And you find yourself synchronizing efforts. You know, a lot of times, like, you, again, trust me, you get, a, you get an information operations, you have a host nation, you have U.S. Army, you maybe have the Navy there, the Marines. Um, Air Force, State Department, other elements involved, and everyone's trying to run for the same thing. And oftentimes, it's the person in the room that just, you know, says, "Hey, I have, a, I have a question. What are we solving for?" And everyone maybe stops. What does that mean? Because I think most people are very good, very positive. They want to help. They want to do right things. Obviously, there's evil in the world, and that's not what we're talking about. But I think sometimes what happens is we we run afoul of our own exuberance, and it's that polymath in the room that says, "Hey, wait a minute, Tim. I know that you do this. You know, Chuck. I know that you do this. Um, what is it that you're working on with this problem? Oh, you know, well, I'm solving for X. Chuck, what are you solving? I'm solving for five. Wait a minute. Let's get on some common operating. You know, let's get on a common operating platform here, and maybe get some common operating information so that we can use our resources." to better solve this problem as a team instead of, you know, everyone's doing the right thing, but we're really not synchronized. Uh, does that make sense? 
Yeah. And, um, you know, as you talk through that, I think about my own experience. The other role that comes to mind where this really resonates is is in being a consultant. Right. And so consultant is inherently maybe you have a six month contract and you go from one uh, company to another. Right. You've got to be adaptable and uh, potentially carry a different role, different project, different team, different culture. And so um, it could serve you well being a jack of all trades, your percentage of billable hours. Right. But if you think about why companies bring in consultants, I mean, one is the finite budget and the way, you know, budgets are made now are project and fiscal year based. But the other thing really they add is just objectivity. And I think that's somebody that can kind of zoom out. They have no, you know, uh, skin in the game for making a good or bad decision, or we've always done it this way. They can bring objectivity and then, you know, some experience from other, you know, places where, um, you know, they can, they can apply some of the things they've learned elsewhere to your organization. So that might be a good route yeah. if you consider yourself a polymath yeah. looking into consulting. That's great. I'm, you know, I've seen some great, you know, in the martial arts community, some of the best martial artists that I've, I've met or, or seen are, are folks like, look, I just didn't focus on one area. You know, I, I went and, you know, maybe I, I studied karate or I studied BJJ and then I went and studied old school jujitsu and then maybe I went and did some Tai Chi and then maybe I went, you know, you go back. One of my favorite old school polymaths, Miyamoto Musashi, who said, look, I'm just a warrior. I'm going to learn warrior things and I'm going to be a polymath within that within that uh, realm of warriorship. And I'm also going to do calligraphy and tea and all those things. But I, I think you're right in terms of, of business side. Now, the consultant is a perfect way to think of a polymath because oftentimes you are coming in to help deal with that Gordian knot, if you will, of issue right. that's happening within the organization. And, you know, just having someone to come in with clear eyes and say, well, what do we have in this? Okay. I know a little bit about systems. I know a little bit about resource and project management and HR. Let's, let's put all this together and make something that's going to be useful. Well, um, you know, like any good polymath, maybe we can switch gears here for just a minute and just, I'll give you the floor. If you have any other, I don't know, leadership philosophies or advice for aspiring leaders that don't have to be polymath related, but you know, you've got such a, you know, your guy, I haven't had a chance to go have a beer with you, but I, I, I owe you one for coming on here. Um, so oh, maybe dude, we can tell I'm, all I'm the happy stories, but I'm uh, happy to help. I'm very excited about your mission here and what you're trying to do. And I'm, I'm excited to what the challenge is going to be. I mean, look, I, yeah, my, my, that's part of my advice for leaders is like, you, you know, you can wake up, you can put a stamp on a t-shirt that says I'm a leader. But when you look in the mirror in the morning, you know what you are. <laughs> be the thing that you aspire to be by emoting that, by just doing it. You know, don't get up and say, hey, Tim, I'm a leader. I mean, people know if you're leading or not. Leaders lean in. Leaders educate. Leaders work with people. They they take on all the problems and they and they give the kudos to somebody else. And, and I think I, just I guess one other piece of like it's not often I get asked this question. So I, I do appreciate that. But one thing I think also is like be more interested and less interesting. That's not to say that you aren't a great person. You are. If you're listening to this podcast, for sure you are. But I think what I'm finding or what we've seen is like, look, be as interested in talking to Tim Flood as you are to tell Tim Flood something. Exactly. Sure. Um, and I think if you really want to make a mark with people, ask him, like, hey, how are you, how are you doing but really mean it. No, I mean, it. how are you doing? What, what's happening with this? What's happening here? 
there'll be a chance for you to talk about yourself. There'll be a chance for tell, to tell your elevator pitch and all the other Harvard Business Review stuff we read. But at the end of the day, I think it's this genuine connection of like, I'm very curious and interested in you. And that goes back to being a polymath, but very curious, I'm interested in you. Tell me about yourself. There'll yeah. be a moment that you can exchange. But maybe off the top of my head, those, those are the two things. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. I remember early on in my career, as in my early 20s, and I met the CEO of my company at that point, and then I met him again. It must have been a year later or something, and he remembered my name, and it was like nothing to him. He's like, oh, Tim, how have you been? You moved from that office? And just I, that resonated more than anything else. I couldn't tell you what I learned from him, right? But I remembered that about him, and that's something I, I'm working on, actively remembering names, but that stood with me, and it was just it was genuine and sincere, and it stuck with me. That the CEO of the whole company remembered my name, and you know, I was one of twenty thousand or whatever at the company. Tim, I got a, I got an email the other day from a soldier that I haven't seen in like twenty five years. Ugh. and he's getting ready to retire from the military, which dates <laughs> me. But I was also very proud to think, like, oh, now I remember that young, you know, E four, which is a you know, private for those that maybe don't understand the right structure. But he sent me a very nice email. I won't, you know, recall it all, but to you, but some of it was like, just thanks. I appreciated the time that you just oh. stopped and listened. Even when you were rushing to go out the door, you always had five minutes to stop and listen, give advice and, or, or, you know, just listen to a problem. And I was like, unsolicited, I printed it out, put it on my bathroom mirror to just remind myself, not like, Hey, I'm great. But to remind myself, like it's humbleness and curiosity that really makes, uh, makes the leader. So yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's nothing more gratifying than somebody said that, you know, you just being kind and altruistic made a difference in my life. I mean, you know, I've, I've gotten that a time or two and I'll see other people kind of get that and I feel good for them. You know, I mean, that really is what it is. If we can help somebody out and that's kind of the mission of this, right? So if, if, if anybody can take one or two things away that helps them, you know, kind of, uh, you know, expand their horizons or take that next step, then that, you know, give me a shout out. Let me know. That's what I'm looking for, um, for in terms of gratification. Thank you so much, Chuck. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Great conversation. Um, and uh, again, if people want to get in touch with you, what do you want to give it one last plug for your LinkedIn, your podcast, anything? Oh, yeah. You can find you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, don't search Charles Randolph. You might get the, the Hollywood writer. Uh, oh, okay. But I, I'm not not me. Uh, but you can say Charles Chuck instead of Chuck. So sorry, I've got <laughs> no, no. You can find me at, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on the Twitters at chr underscore actual. You know, you, you can find me through a social media search, or you can find the the podcast conversations in close protection, or you can go over to Ontic's website and see some of the stuff I'm putting out. And you know, I'm happy to connect with you. You know, just just hit me up. LinkedIn is a great way to do it, and uh, and I'll get back. I look forward to it. I look forward to hearing about you and. Tim, I'm really looking forward to seeing how, how this podcast is going to progress. And I'm uh, very, very curious to hear what your challenge is. Yeah, actually, good, great segue, Chuck, very well. So challenge for this week, go listen to some TED Talks. Go down a virtuous rabbit hole, okay? Learn something you wouldn't have learned ordinarily through what you ordinarily would go pay attention to. And then hit me up, tell me what it is. Tell Chuck what you learned that you wouldn't have. Share it on social media. Share it at a dinner party. Uh, but start to go down that journey and, and see where you where you do have different uh, areas of interest and start to share the knowledge and, and pay it forward. And that's the challenge for this week. All right. Thanks. Thanks again, Chuck. Take care, everyone. Thank you, sir. Good luck. Everyone keep your heads down.